0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This week, part two of my interview with Tom Haneke. Last week, we talked about tackling large amounts of footage and working with problem material. This week, we continue our discussion with his work on American Teen. And touch on Almost Home, a documentary he did for the Independent Lens about old folks' homes. Now remember, if you have any questions, you can always email me at info at Or you can join me on Twitter by looking for Art Guillotine. Enjoy this week's interview with Tom Haneke. Now what happens if, because you were talking about a lot of times it's just not there... Like the structure, and the well, it's plot. always
1: got to be there when you yeah. finish it because yeah. you need to make the movie. <laughs> well, that's I was going to ask is
0: what happens if cause a lot of times the director will come in with this vision that they've they built and they've worked on for months, maybe even years. Right. And when they get to you, that idea isn't there. How do you approach Doc in that situation?
1: Yeah. How do I approach them? Yeah.
0: yeah them? Yes. Yeah. Them <laughs> or and refining uh, the well, story
1: the whole thing the whole thing about this work is you have to solve the problems i mean you have to because you have to make a movie now some films are better than others and that's inevitable you know but you have to you have to solve every single problem uh and as far as of them you know having it not turn out the way they had hoped mm-hmm. kind of, that's a serious problem if they're really unhappy with a film then you have to you have to work with them until either you have to convince them that this alternative that you're suggesting is better and, and more obtainable given the material and kind of get them on board with that vision. Or sometimes you have to go out and reshoot a little bit. That's often not possible because the budget is pretty much gone at that point,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: You can always get a day or two of B-rolls. Say, you know, I really need San Francisco base sheet." because I just don't have anything here, and i got to have them. Can we get somebody out there to shoot something and send it to us? Or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Like in the Mother Teresa film, I said, I really need poor people in New York City, and I don't have any of them. So we hired somebody went out and shot all these great shots, which are like 50% of the shoot is in the film, you know, because we knew exactly what we needed. But you don't usually get that. Uh, but in terms of the vision, sometimes they didn't get it or they didn't see it. Sometimes they get lost out there a little bit. Some people are really, really good in the field, and others are not so good. And sometimes the cameraman can kill you, you know? (laughs) They get like, you've had this great thing going on, and the cameraman is just not paying attention. They're shooting, but they're not listening. You know, they're not listening to what's happening. So they're like wandering all over the place, or they're indecisive, you know, because there's a lot of people, a lot of younger shooters are a little insecure, and they're like chasing, they're never quite... They never quite trust themselves, mm-hmm. and they're, like, they're always looking for the shot, and they're always reframing, and they're checking focus. And it's like, pay attention and give me some shots I can use. Uh, now, when the producers at the event, they're watching the event, they're not looking through the lens, you know, unless they're shooting it themselves, and that usually doesn't happen. So they're trusting the camera guy or woman to get it. Mm -hmm. It may be a great event, but the camera, it's possible the camera didn't bring it home. At which point I really, I can't really make it happen. But usually, one way or another, we get, we reach a a place where we are working together. After you cut like, you know, 14 or 15 scenes, and they begin to see what the film is becoming, it's a process. It really is Mm -hmm. a process. You're always going down the road. You can't try every single thing. When I was teaching, I used to give my students the example. If you have ten shots all the same length, you can make three and a half million different montages just by oh rearranging my. shots. That's my case, you know? Yeah. So I did a lot of ways to do everything. Uh, but you begin to see what the film could become, mm-hmm. and then you start working on that, and the proposal starts to dim a little bit, and you see what the film is becoming, and then you start making that better. And if there's some major thing that's missing that the producer is just dying for, then you have to figure out some solution for that. How Mm -hmm. can we produce this on the screen with the limited or even non-existent material that we have? Sometimes you have to do archival. Sometimes you have to buy stock shots. Sometimes you have to do another interview. I mean, there's a lot of possible solutions depending on what the problem is. Mm -hmm. But if it's really, really important to them, then you have to do it. I had a film, which I did last year, just about a year and a half ago, actually. Somebody brought me a film which was broadcast mastered. It was done. It was mixed. It was color corrected. It was ready to go. Mm -hmm. They had been working on it a really long time, and they just weren't happy with it. They just didn't feel like they got it. And they were submitting it to festivals, and it really wasn't... It was kind of getting lukewarm response, or it was being rejected. And they couldn't exactly... Understand what was wrong, but they didn't feel like they had done their subject justice, and they really felt bad about it. And they somebody gave my name, and I uh, sometimes I just do consulting,
0: mm-hmm. not often,
1: but I'll like I'll watch a film, and they'll give me a script, and I'll just kind of kind of analyze it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I did that, and one thing led to another, and they hired me for to like re- recut a little bit for eight weeks, and I listened to them. That was a Case where I said, okay, I knew what I thought was wrong with the film. Structurally, it was confusing, and there things were kind of strong things that could have been marshaled all together in one sequence. And the film had been kind of dispersed among you know throughout the film, and they it, it kind of weakened weakened uh, the impact of it because it didn't all come in one place, you know, and you kind mm-hmm. of didn't understand it. So I had a lot of suggestions like that. But, you know, I wanted to talk to them about what they were feeling. And they talked to me about how they thought the subject wasn't exactly being accurately or emotionally depicted. And So I, I listened to what they thought they needed. And then I kind of dove into the dailies and I looked around and I tried to do what I did, you know, and I tried to offer them solutions and we worked very closely together uh, about it. And, and we basically repat it. And it's actually, you know, doing pretty good now. It's winning a couple of prizes, and it was on independent And But they got what they thought they should have gotten the first time. You know, and that would be a good example of, you know, respecting the producer's wishes. Ultimately, I lose every argument just because (laughs) I'm the editor and I'm not the producer. I can't Mm -hmm. say, well, you're wrong, and this is the way I'm doing it. I can say, I think you're wrong. I think this is a big mistake. I think this guy's boring. I don't think it should be this long. But if they say, I want it, it's in the film,
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: I can't I can't win that. I'll do my best, but ultimately I just go. We can't talk about it anymore. I'm just gonna do it.
0: <laughs> now I just want to jump to American Teen. The marketing behind the film, in certain countries, gave the sense that the film was a, a real life Breakfast Club. Did you feel pressure when you were cutting to make it similar to Breakfast Club?
1: No, actually, you know what? Um, there was there were three editors on that. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Mary Manhart was a great editor, uh, and Net Burstein, the director, is also an editor. Mm-hmm. She doesn't actually work as an editor, but she started as an editor, so she knows how to edit. And I was the third editor. Uh, I was kind of—they called me up about that, and I wasn't available to start it. I had just contracted to do something else. Uh, Alexandra Pelosi, friends of God, with yeah. the evangelicals. But then when I finished that then um they called me up and then I was available so I went and I spent about I don't know seven months on American Teen. Uh but no. What what I think Nanette's um purpose was was okay, we all know what teen movies look like, you know? Mm-hmm. There's the bitch girl, there's the jock, there's, you know, the familiar cast. But what she was hoping she could do, and I actually think she did, was to say, okay, to kind of play and this is the strategy which I have had arrived at independently is to play to the viewer's prejudice a little bit at the beginning and say yeah I know this character oh yeah it's that it's the bad guy or it's the greedy corporate executive or it's the whoever it is it's the jock you know or it's the mean girl or it's the, the art girl you know uh, and you play to that but then you go start walking around the character and going yeah but there's this and there's that and there's all this other stuff which is a little more like real life. It's more complicated and, I think, hence more interesting. Uh, And I think that's what Nanette was trying to do, is to take the stereotype characters and kind of get inside a little bit. And I think, by and large, she succeeded at that. I think the characters kind of transcend their prototypical kind of role in the film. But of course, it's very slick, you know.
0: Well, I was going to say, with the starting, the introduction, I was going to ask you about how you guys approached the introduction of these teens, because you start off with the kids talking about each other. And so they'll talk about Megan as the queen bee and how she's a bitch. And they right. sort of set up that character, but then we go deeper in. Um, right. can, you t- can you tell me about cutting those intros?
1: Well, you know, the strategy, as I said, was to kind of, you know, introduce you into the, the familiarity of the character. Uh, and then hopefully complicate them. So we didn't want them to be complicated out of the gate. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be characters that you recognize from all of the teen movies that's seen. Yeah. There's always a question of withholding. A lot of people think that documentaries come out of the back of the camera complete with sound effects you know, <laughs> and music. But you know what I mean? But it's like there's so much manipulation that goes yeah. on in a documentary. And that's a little... That's counterintuitive to people's understanding of them because they think it's the truth. Mm-hmm. well, it is the truth, but it's our truth uh and we're not making up facts, but we're we're doling things out to you in a very very calculated and you could also call it manipulative way. What are we going to tell you, and when are we going to tell you mm-hmm. so at the beginning, we don't want to tell you that Megan's father has. L- put all this pressure on her to get into Notre Dame, and the whole family has always gone to Notre Dame, except for the sister who committed suicide, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. We don't want to give you all that away, you know, in the first part of it, because we want to save it for mm. strategically when it's appropriate and dramatic and useful for us to, in terms of, if nothing else, maintaining your interest in the family release that information to you. It's all there. We could have told you, we could have started with that, you know, story about this sister uh, who couldn't get into Notre Dame and killed herself. You know, there's a million ways you can do everything, but that the strategy was to start at, this, at the superficial level and go deeper. So that's how you arrive at those decisions. Now, who knows what, how another group of filmmakers would have treated the same material. They could have taken a completely different approach, you know? And that that's the journey you go on when you're making a film. You have to decide it would be better if this were here and not there. Or I don't think they should know that because then I'll be able to reveal it to you and increase your interest in the character when you learn that about
0: them. There was that initial scene where Hannah Bailey gets... Uh, reveals that she's or she broke up with her boyfriend right after they had sex was there a worry about showing that or how did you guys approach this to be delicate but also show the information like you don't want to not show it because it's such an important plot point
1: and uh, yeah and are you talking about like fear of of what I, I guess character
0: yeah like the effect on the, uh, actual the i person. mean the actual
1: not the character the actual yeah. person yeah yeah uh Well, these things, these are are actually not editorial uh, Mm -hmm. matters because when, I mean, filmmakers really, the people who actually go out into the field, she was out there for 10 months. She lived in that town. Wow. Uh, And she was there all the time. She was with them when she wasn't shooting, and sometimes she was just shooting with a little handheld camera. You know that Mm -hmm. scene when when Megan gets her... uh, The acceptance lover. I mean, that was just Nanette Mm -hmm. in there with a handheld camera. There was no crew. It was just her. Because Mm -hmm. she had been invested so much time with them that they really begin to open up to the filmmakers. Mhm. You know, as I said, I'm talking a little out of turn here, because I never go out into the field. I'm always sitting in this room all by myself. And it's just, you know, a one-way mirror with me and the characters. I know them really well. And when I finally meet them at the screening or something, (laughs) they don't know me at all. And I know everything about them, because I watched all the television. You know, and it's like, who the hell are you? (laughs) But um, she, on the other hand, is out there living with them, and she's trying to give them confidence and... You know, make sure that they can trust her, because you know they have to give you access. If you can't get access to the character, then you better stop shooting, because it's just not going to happen.
0: You know, who's really
1: the best that access Barbara Koppel?
0: I was blown away by some of the ac- like some of the, the story plots and stuff, like, like the whole issue with the girl who sent out the photo of herself, right, and that right. whole background story. Yeah,
1: no, and then that really, you know, she got those people to know her and to trust her. And don't forget, she had to pick those. She had to pick those people. The population of that school is like three thousand students. And she was looking for seniors, so that of course reduced it by seventy-five percent. But still, who's going to be interesting? We have a guy, uh, the jock's friend, Colin's friend, who was a black basketball player. He was like one of the only black kids in that whole school. We, she thought he would be a really interesting character. Because just because he, you know, he was economically a little less privileged than a lot of the students, and he had a single mom, he didn't fit the model that was kind of current in the, you know, in the school system. She thought he would be really, and he just didn't play out. It wasn't for lack of trying. We tried uh, for months to try and get him into the film, but he just wasn't interesting enough. He didn't hold his weight, and ultimately he had to go because he just he didn't hold it. You know, and that happens a lot. Certain characters. I worked on this film about this guy did a film out in Milwaukee, uh, one of those old age places where three levels. You can buy the apartment and just be an independent living, as they yeah. call it, where you just own an apartment up in the high rise, and then and the same facility is also an assisted living level, and then there's the nursing home, which is mm-hmm. kind of the last stop. And he did a film about you know that. It's called Almost Home, and he's got this. He's got these great couples, one where the woman was living in the apartments because she was still healthy, you her know, husband was in the nursing home, and she couldn't bear to bring herself to go, even go down and visit him because she didn't want to see him like that, mm-hmm. and then there was another couple where the guy was still sound, and he went to work every day even though he was like 89, and his wife was failing, and he would be there every morning at 8 o'clock, and he'd pull her out of bed and put makeup on her and make her walk around, even though she was slipping and slipping and slipping and going away. So great casting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, But there's 800 people living in that facility. Uh, you better pick the right ones to spend a lot of time on. But the reason I brought it up is there was one character who had signed the do-not-resuscitate agreement in the mm-hmm. nursing home, and he was spending a lot of time with this woman. <laughs> I was watching the dailies, and he was still shooting the film while I was starting to cut. And I told him, I said, you know, unless this character dies, she's not going to be in the movie because there's nothing interesting about her except this thing, you know, this issue. And he heard me and he basically kind of stopped spending shooting days on her. And that's basically what you're doing you're spending money yeah. on these characters, you know, because uh, it's not cheap. You know, you've got to get a shooter, you've got to get a sound person, you've got to buy the tape. You got to process it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to do all the handling. So you better be thinking about what you're going to shoot. Tape is cheap, but it's not free. So we basically stopped shooting that character because it wasn't going to happen. And that happens a lot. There was a film that Barbara Kopple did back in '91 that won the Oscar, *American Dream*. It was mm-hmm. about this really nasty labor struggle out in Minnesota uh, where this union basically stood up and said, we're man as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. Yeah. And they had this strike. And, and there was a really interesting character in The valleys who was the business manager of the union that was on strike. He was kind of like intellectual and kind of witty and funny, and he had a good grasp of the situation. And he was almost always there in the scenes. And we, we loved it in The Dailies, but we just couldn't figure out a way to make him serve the film. Every time we put him in, it was like we, we don't need this. You know, we don't need that. That's what, you know, and ultimately he disappeared from the cut because everything that's in that film has to serve a purpose. Every single moment. You know, what is it doing in the scene? What is it doing in the film? You can't just make it. Here's another interesting scene. There's a lot of documentaries that fall victim to this. Here's an interesting scene, and here's another interesting scene, Mm -hmm. and here's another interesting scene, you know? But what do they have to do with each other?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You need to connect them into the whole 80-minute or 80, you know, 90-minute arc of -hmm. the experience, because it's not just a bunch of interesting stuff. It has to be a shaped thing, which is a challenge, especially when you don't have a plot. Yeah. You know, like in the Labor film, at least we wanted to know, well, what's gonna happen? Are they gonna win the strike or not, you know? Are they gonna get fired? You know, so you you had at least that much to watch. Sometimes you don't even have that. Like the American Team. You did have a little couple of issues. Is Colin gonna get his basketball scholarship or does he have to join the army? Is Megan gonna get into Notre Dame? What's gonna happen to Hannah? Is she gonna get out or is she gonna be stuck in Indiana for the rest of the world? Um, You know, so you did have that, and that was very helpful.
0: So that was the second part of my interview with Tom. Join me next week with the final installment. I'd like to thank Tom and my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.